I want to talk to you this morning about the phrase, it is finished. In order to really comprehend this phrase, I want us to look at Psalm 2. So we'll go there and we'll read the whole Psalm, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Messiah, against his Christ, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. <laughs> the Lord shall hold them in derision. God can laugh as the nations plot against him, as the evil powers that exist plot against him. He can laugh because God has a plan for the ages. He launched it when he said way back in the beginning, Genesis 3.15, and he shall bruise your heel, but you shall... Shall bruise his head, referring to the coming Christ, the Savior who would redeem mankind, that Satan would be able to crush or or uh, bruise uh, the Christ's heel, but that same heel would accomplish crushing the devil's head or his headship. So God laughs, verse five. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. God says to the kings of the earth, I have set my king in place, and he is king of kings. Amen? So, and this, uh, I've set my king on my holy hill. Seven, I will declare the decree. This is Christ, the Son, responding to God the Father. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, Father has said to Son, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. God is saying very simply, I will raise up a king. He will be my son. I will put him in authority over everything. Therefore, plot and plan, but I laugh at your plottings and plannings. The wisdom of the world is nothing to me. I will set my king on my holy hill. So be wise, be instructed through the Son. Serve God with fear and trembling because the Son will bless some, but he will curse others. Amen. So key verse, key statement in this psalm, um, today I have begotten you. We need to reflect on what 
the occasion is when God uses these words that are prophesied here in Psalm 2. The answer comes to us in Acts chapter 13. Look with me at verse 32. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. I want to just pause here and point out to you that the promise in Acts chapter 2, that promise in this verse right here in Acts 13, refers to a singular promise. There are many promises of God, but all of them derive from the promise. All of them derive from what is spoken here, that promise. And as we read on, we'll see what that promise is. We declare glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The promise was that there would come a Savior who would release the Spirit of God to live in all men, that there would be a resurrection and the power of the resurrection would not simply be with the Son raised up as God's King to sit in authority over all things, but with all whom, with whom the Son shared that life. My Son, today I have begotten you. Christ, we will see in a moment, is the firstborn amongst many brethren, but his birth takes place at the resurrection. This day, I have begotten you. Amen. So, the plan of the ages, uh, Genesis 3.15, he shall bruise your head, he will crush your head, and you shall bruise, crush his heel. This is the death when crushing of the heel, Satan against Christ takes place, but then crushing of the head or headship of the devil, the headship of Satan comes at the resurrection of Christ. There is a man being born in the devil's throne room. Christ will go there, but he will be made alive. He'll be justified in spirit, made alive in spirit. And we're going to watch as that unfolds here. God's plan for the ages. Uh, let's look at Hebrews, no, Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Amen. There is a bruising or a crushing that takes place at the cross of Christ, but it is not the end of the story. He is gone to the cross with purpose. From the cross, he will die and be buried. He will descend into the lower parts of the earth. But there is purpose in his descending to the lower parts of the earth, Hebrews 2.14, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, this is Christ, likewise shared in the same. He became a man so that he could die. He became a man so that he could die, so that he would die. Amen. He shared the same that 
through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. God could have simply said to the devil, you are a bug, I crush you. However, in the beginning, God gave his authority to man as co-regent of planet Earth. He invested authority in Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve gave away that authority. In order for this to work, a man gave the authority to Satan. It would take a man to get the authority back from Satan. That is the only just way to proceed. But Christ became a man and lived perfectly, meaning his life was a sacrifice worthy. Hello? Worthy of defeating the devil. So in that he shared in the same, he died that through death he might destroy. The word destroy here is brought to naught. Naught is a very old English term. It means zero. Brought to naught. The devil's authority over humanity was this big after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It was beneath my feet. There was no more authority over humanity. It was taken from him. It was through death Christ destroys, brings to nothingness him who used to have the power of death. And we are told in Scripture that it is through that power of death that he held all men in bondage throughout their lifetime. Amen. So Christ dies and rises again. After he has risen, he says this, Revelations 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Jesus had to go to the lower parts of the earth. He had to go to Sheol to take the power of death away from the devil, and he now holds the keys to hell and the grave, to hell and to death. What was taking place is described for us in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 11, Luke says this, verse 21, by the way, you do understand, yes, that he will crush your head, that is, your headship over humanity. Satan was the head, but he is now not the head. Hello? Amen. There's the head and the tail. Hello? Amen. So Luke 11, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. So you have to see Satan, the strong man, guarding his own house. His treasures are the souls he has collected through the ages. He is holding them captive. They belong to him because the wages of sin is death. But God has a plan for the ages, and there is one coming who will crush his headship. So when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all 
his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. This is Jesus going to the strong man's throne room, the strong man's house, his palace, where he's guarding all those souls that he's taken captive through the ages, and Jesus makes him of no importance. He brought to naught this one who had this control over man who held the power of death. That death was taken from Satan. That power was taken from Satan. Christ now holds it. And basically, uh, Colossians 2.15 explains it. Having disarmed, he took away the strong man's weapons, his armaments, in which he trusted so that he could divide his spoils. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers. By the way, those are the principalities and powers that you wrestle against in Ephesians chapter 6. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And many translations will write, in the cross. It is through the cross, through the death of Christ, that Satan's power over your life is undone. Jesus goes to the strong man's house and spoils his goods. Are you with me? Amen. So we turn now to Hebrews chapter 1, and I want to go through several verses here and basically point out that the resurrection, you are my son, this day, you are my son. You are born again at the resurrection. Christ is the firstborn from the dead. He says, Hebrews chapter 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. So here we're looking at Psalm 2. Christ is the inheritor when he is born again, the inheritor of all things, all nations. He has to simply ask the Father, and the Father gives him the nations. By the way, Jesus did ask for those nations, and then having been given those nations, he said to his church, now go to the nations. Amen. Amen. And, and tell them the good news. So he's, uh, he has spoken in these last days. Many and various ways of old God spoke to the fathers. So God would come, he might be a burning bush, he might be some other theophany, he might be an angelic visitation, he might simply be a whispering voice or this or that. He shows up in many different ways, dreams, etc., etc. God spoke all through the prophets, but in these last days, the verb is, he has spoken with utter and total finality by his son. There is nothing to be added to Jesus the Christ. Nothing whatsoever. God has no new word, no new revelation regarding Jesus the Christ and the plan of salvation for the ages. He is through 
talking. This is God has spoken. That is Roger Wilco over and out. Period. Finito. Ultimate done. Nothing more coming. Amen. You can hang up the line. There's nothing more to be said. In Christ, God has made his final statement to man. Amen. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hallelujah. That is, after the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection of Christ, he is raised in all authority. And again, have, having inherited the nations, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. So go to these nations. They are mine. Go disciple the nations. Amen. Verse 4, having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. That's Philippians 2, Christ, having humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow, every tongue confess in heaven, on earth, and beneath the earth. He is Lord over all. Amen. Amen. This is all God's plan for the ages. And God laughs at the plots, plans, etc. Amen? So, hallelujah. There's lots of conspiracy theories out there right now, and I'm sure there's some kind of truth behind each of them. Not all truth, but some truth. Nevertheless, I want you to know that in every one of them, God is simply laughing. He's just laughing. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, Verse 5, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. On the day of resurrection, God said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Verse 6, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Jesus is the firstborn coming forth from death. He is the first man ever born again. He is firstborn from the dead. Colossians 1.18. He is firstborn amongst many brethren. That's Romans 8.29. And who are those many brethren? Ultimately, Hebrews 12.23. You become the church of the firstborn. Amen. Verse 7. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. 
I don't know if those of you on the side can see uh, with clarity, but our church logo is emblazoned here on the front of this pulpit. And what you see there appears to be a cross with light emanating from it, with the Holy Spirit being released from it. But if you were to look carefully, you would see that this shaft is actually a scepter. A scepter is that pole that a king held. And in order to understand a scepter of righteousness, you need to recognize the law of the Persians and the old world. When Esther said to Mordecai, if I perish, I perish, it was because she was going to step into the king's throne room without invitation or permission. She was going into the king's throne room under her own volition. And according to the law, when she entered that room, if the king was pleased to see her, he would lean his scepter toward her. That meant you're all right or you have righteousness. If he did not lean his scepter toward you, you were dead and would not be in your bed that night. It was not possible to visit the king without his invitation and permission. And if you did chance it on your own volition, he would point his scepter of righteousness at you. This is God's declaration over Christ, who is born again in hell. He has gone to the devil's stronghold, the strong man who is guarding his palace, watching over his captives, and Jesus is justified in spirit, made alive in spirit. God says to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Something is happening here in hell. The scepter of righteousness is now in the hands of Jesus who points his scepter at all those Old Testament saints who had put their faith in God's Christ and held an IOU. None of them could go to heaven, but God had said to each of them, I owe you heaven. After Messiah comes and is risen, then you can come up and be with me in heaven. Until then, you will have to wait. So Christ points his scepter at David, who said, you will not leave my soul in Hades. He points his scepter at Job, who said, my redeemer liveth, and I will see him in the flesh. He points his scepter at Joseph, who said, do not leave my bones in Egypt. Move them to Jerusalem. Jerusalem so that I will be there when Christ and the resurrection of first fruits takes place. He points his scepter at Daniel who wrote, many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life. He points his scepter at Hosea who says after two days he will revive us and on the third day he will raise us up. He points his scepter at Joshua, at Ruth, at Abraham, and Sarah, at Rahab, at everyone 
who held an IOU based on faith. And Satan is looking at dead and defeated men coming into life. You see life and liberty starting to pulsate in hell, starting to take over. There's a spirit greater than Satan's spirit in hell, and it is the Christ. A new race of men is being birthed in the throne room of hell. There is liberty being proclaimed through the corridors. Prison doors are thrown open. Slaves are throwing away their chains and such. There is a power flowing from Christ into each and every one of those believers. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Do you hear me? Captivity was taken captive. Satan was defeated and brought to naught. Jesus was bringing many sons to glory. Throughout heaven, throughout earth, throughout hell, the word went forth from the throne. It is finished. It is finished. Your debt is paid. Paid in full. Satan is finished. Who can condemn you? Who can hold on to you? Sin will no longer have dominion over you. Satan will no longer have dominion over you. Listen carefully, saints. Listen, listen, listen. Yes, salvation is finished. Yes, Satan is finished. That's when self is finished. And self is finished when I see the finished work of Christ for me and invite him to come into my heart to make it finished in me. We must be born again so that God can say, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Would you rise to your feet and pray this with me because we need to kiss the sun. We need to kiss the sun. Like Psalm 2 says, lest he be angry because blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Amen. So would you repeat after me? God in heaven, I have sinned and cannot fix it. I have no payment. So I thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my sins and to take my penalty. Jesus, save me and come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Move, move in me today and always to see Father's kingdom come and his will be done. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.